Welcome to Coach Your Brains Out. I'm Billy Allen. I'm Andrew Fuller. And I'm John Mayer. And today we're joined by Jack Bowerly, the head swim coach at the University of Georgia. He's won seven national championships, 12 SEC titles, and has been selected SEC Coach of the Year, I think I'm reading this right, 18 times. Uh, he's also yep. coached multiple medalists in the men's and women's Olympics in the past five Olympic Games. Coach Bowerly, it's an honor to have you on the show. Thanks. Good to be here. So our topic for today is leading with humility. Would you mind starting out explaining why a leader or coach would want to be humble in their approach? Uh, well, it's, it's a darn good question. And uh, I think it's a sort of a nice trait that, you know, your athletes probably would respect it more than anyone else, but mostly your peers. And um, I think what, one thing we've been real proud of here after – we took a few years to get successful. It did not come overnight. It took about 18 or 19 years to really arrive on the spot that we are now. And uh, I like to think we were a popular choice sometimes when we won the NCAA championships, just because I think my staff and our athletes uh, sort of approach it in a, in a way that uh, we view ourselves as – a, a really good program, but we don't feel like we're any better than anybody else at any time. And uh, I'm certainly make our kids aware of the fact that there are so many athletes and so many coaches who know at least what we do <laughs> and many times much more. And uh, I think we're pretty lucky to be where we are sometimes because as you guys know, to win any kind of championship and particularly uh, the one stat we're really proud of with a women's team right now is the fact that we went 18 years where we were first or second. And, uh, and then the years we weren't, I think we were, I think third and fifth and eighth. So I always put it in basketball terms. That means we were in the final game, 15 out of 18 years. And, uh, the hardest thing, as you guys know, uh, is being really, really, consistently good and not championships will come eventually until you win your first one. You don't think that. And, uh, but after you win the first one, uh, you realize there was a little bit of luck involved, a lot of preparation and a lot of great athletes that made up for probably a lack of coaching sometimes. But, uh, but it's the part that's really difficult is to remain good. And because you have to change a little bit year by year, you have different kids coming in. You have kids that are there for three years going on four. So you can't do everything the same. Otherwise they can get a little stale, but uh, to get back to the humility part, we always tell them or tell our kids uh, what you do is special, but it doesn't make you any better than anyone else. And I like to think our coaching staff feels the same. Wow. That's a great message for, for the players out there. Was this was there ever a time um, where you were more egotistical and you made a conscious change or was this always your personality, Jack? I, I'd like to think it was always the same. I don't think we're any different than we were before. Mm -hmm. I think per, I think the one thing you have to do, I have a couple of heroes in coaching. Uh, some are probably one. One would probably be two of them actually would be most surprising to you. Um, and one of them is one of. The one I respect the most would be Al McGuire from Marquette. And I think Al had a common touch with people. Uh, I think he was just a regular guy. I just, uh, I think I sort of, if I viewed myself as anything like anybody in coaching, that's sort of the way I wouldn't mind being. And, uh, and then the other guy I really revered, uh, and this sounds ironic, but He's considered our greatest second place person ever uh, was Marv Levy with the Buffalo Bills, because I think his achievement of taking literally the same group of guys for four straight years to the Super Bowl will be unmatched. And as an English major, I sort of liked Marv a little bit, too, because he he was an English major, might have had his master's. I was uh, a mere undergraduate, but uh, I just uh, I thought he had a nice demeanor. And, uh, and, and I liked Al even when he was a coach and I also loved him maybe even more when he was a, uh, announcer with basketball. I thought he was the best college announcer we have ever had. I was very fortunate as a young guy to grow up in Philadelphia, which was a terrific sports town. 
and two of the best voices in the history of radio or TV uh, were on our local channel, 10 News, CBS. Jack Whitaker did the sports, and he was a, one of the great voices. And the other one was John Facenda, who was the anchor leg. And obviously, you guys will remember him as the voice of God for all the NFL films. And uh, there's a lot of irony in that, too, because the Sable brothers who started that actually swam with my older brothers. Uh, right in our hometown. But uh, anyhow, I, I got used to some really great broadcasting. And I think I always revered Al McGuire because he he was not so critical. I think when you coach, you can realize how many things can go wrong that are not in your control. And uh, I just uh, just enjoyed being uh, in the same, you know, listening area, I guess you'd say. But I think he was a guy – I feel like uh, if I met him, I really would have liked him a lot. So you, you mentioned, sorry, I want to follow up uh, real quick. Sure. Sorry, Andrew. Um, you mentioned how anybody can win a championship once, even someone like Andrew Fuller, who's uh, on the line. But uh, <laughs> I'm wondering, uh, what are some of the keys? To, you said, you know, it's it's tough to remain good. So what are some of the keys to, to remaining good? Uh, you have to start a little bit of a, a legacy, I think, Uh things when kids when they come in as freshmen that they think that there are certain things that are really important that have to get done that's and that comes from your uh leadership obviously i think you have to nurture leadership uh when you see it even as if they're freshmen if you have one or two that you feel like they're going to have a role a very important role to play down the road you have to nurture that early and uh just make sure you talk to them in terms of being a leader, even as early as they are a freshman. Uh, we've had some of our best leaders that were actually freshmen and sophomores. Um, I don't ever elect a captain unless they're seniors. And actually, we do it a little bit differently every year. Last year, we went the whole year without captains. I want to do it at the end, I'm, and I'm going to just name them. Uh, this year, I think it might be a little bit different just because of the outlook of the team. I think we might need a couple of rocks uh, to fall back on early. And then sometimes we let the kids decide, you know, before school gets out. So I think you have to sort of do it a little bit differently and know your team a little bit. And I don't think there's any one great way to do it, to be honest with you. Awesome. Jack, going back to what you were speaking about earlier, it seems like you're a big fan of written and spoken language. Yeah. Um, and, and as an English major and a fan of announcing and, and that craft are there any practices in writing or reading that you go through each season well the thing is it's it's sort of an interesting thing you know a lot of, i know a lot of coaches now put everything on a computer i write a workout all the time uh but when i do that i can always write something on it right <laughs> so and uh i try to make them a little bit of aware it's sort of a teaching mechanism i try to put maybe a couple quotes here and there or lately I've been doing a little bit of uh, this day in history, uh, like today in history in 1968, Robert Kennedy was assassinated. And, uh, you know, I think our kids now get a little uh, farther away. I think they're the smartest generation by far. I think their knowledge of what was passed is not quite as great as some of the other generations and maybe kids 20 years, 30 years older. Uh, so we try to do a little teaching then. And, uh, as we did this morning, because that was a very turbulent year in 1968, uh, Martin Luther King was assassinated that spring, actually in April. And there was a lot of stuff going along out, you know, right, obviously out in San Francisco, a lot of pro demonstrations, uh, a lot of anti demonstrations for the war. And, uh, and then, then something that was very dear to me was actually one of the probably the, about the best years in music ever, uh, starting with Monterey Pop out there and a lot of my heroes <laughs> there. So, um, you know, I was 16 at the time, so it was really an interesting time to grow up. And I feel very fortunate that uh, there was a lot of passion at that time. And I think I think we try to remind the kids that you know, no matter what, you know, just make sure, you know, you just sort of have a little. Con concept of what's going on around you and a little bit of caring. And fortunately, we have a lot of kids in our team that were brought up exceptionally well by moms and dads because my mom used to have a great saying, they never get it from anyone strange. And uh, 
And when our kids are good kids, when we get them, there's a reason because moms and dads were the same way and they've teach them an awful lot. But it seems like uh, an understanding of all that history just kind of breeds more humility to bring it back. Yeah, I think you're right. I think uh, if you appreciate what was done before you, you certainly uh, think maybe what you've done is really not that big a deal. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and a couple of coaches I know real well in the swimming world that I absolutely revere, Eddie Reese down at Texas, who's won 12 or 13 national championships. He and I room together every chance we get. <laughs> I'll never forget when we were in China. He was the head coach for men. I was the head coach for women. They said they came to us and said, Listen, coaches, it's great. Uh, everybody's got a roommate, but you guys are going to be able to have a single room. We said, we don't want one. <laughs> so and uh, we'd rather be with each other and have a good time. But, uh, you know, when you talk to these coaches, I guess uh, the big thing is uh, we all realize there are people that do things much more important than what we do. We coach swimming. It's not that big a deal. What doctors do, you know, what scientists do, what politicians do, uh, maybe have more far reaching results. Uh, but it is it's not lost in us that it's an absolute privilege to have an opportunity to work with athletes and just great young kids that want to do something really big. And to be part of that is a, you know, a huge responsibility. And uh, teachers know it just like coaches know it. It's just something that's there, and it's something that drew us to coaching and teaching. Jack, I had a question. Um, why, why do you think this generation, um, you said, is one of the smartest that you've coached? I know a lot of coaches kind of complain about millennials and stuff but uh, yeah i just want to see your perspective on that um why do you think they're so smart or how do you see that well i think uh i think it's a neat generation actually i love um and our kids and i have to coach a little differently now too than i did just 10 years ago i think eight years ago um i think one reason they're so smart i think they have so much at their disposal uh so much information and they disseminate you know much more than we did in probably months at a time um, I hope because of that, they don't lose the personal part because a lot of times, as you well know, they're pretty wired up. Uh, we have a little deal when we walk out. If you want to look at your phone, you can look at it right outside the pool. But when you're walking out on the deck after practice, you're engaged with your teammates or with the coaches. But I don't want them on a phone at that time because that's sometimes I think most of the, the real important time is sometimes after or before a workout, not just during. And uh, a couple words said at the right moment and the right time, and maybe some questions asked at the right time and the right moment, I think can be instrumental uh, to a swimmer's success. And uh, there's no time that's a bad time at the pool, I think. Uh, but I think we always have to realize that coaches – we have a lot of opportunities to teach, and it's not just when they're when we're making them do something. Yeah, it's interesting. Have Have you noticed a, a rise in narcissism in the athletes you've coached, and I guess just the culture in general? And outside of the phone stuff, have you taken any measures to combat that? Uh, I just just said like at the NCA championships. Uh, I guess I, I sort of just say I have to remind them, and we do a really good job of this at the Olympic Games. We just, uh, you know, it's sort of a shutdown after they make the Olympic team. We, they have a little bit of con contact with families, but it's limited to about four days out of the last 35 or 40 going into the, the games themselves. But I think I just tell them if this is if at one point in time at NCAA championships, this is your world only. Moms and dads are there. They're there to support. But you're, you have one, two people to talk with, your teammates and your coaches. And uh, I also try to remind them that they won't walk that dance again. It's a really special time in their lives. And I try to remind them before, you know, they get to be a senior and all of a sudden, you know, have a regret that I could have done this better or a little this little this better. And, you know, when I look back, I could have done a lot better. You know, I was a I was a. A captain, but I was probably captain out of default. And I'm not sure we had anyone else, uh, you know, at that time wanted, we had some great guys, but, uh, they didn't want to lead. We had a couple guys that were juniors and sophomores that certainly had as much leadership as I did, or probably more. But I think at certain times, 
you just have to be on them and make sure that you give them every opportunity to lead also. It's a really big deal. Jack, just talking about, um, I guess, using the phone lesson, um, it seems like you're not just saying demanding they not do this because you say so, but you're giving them yeah, a lot of reason why and how it it's better for them. Um, I guess just approaching players in that way, um, do you fight, feel like they respond better when you kind of not just bark orders, but I don't know, approach it humbly and feel like you have their best interests in mind? Yeah, I think so. I think what they always know we have our best interests in mind. I think, first of all, it starts with a lot of respect. And I have some kids on the team that, you know, I truly think that are amazing. I wish I had some of their attributes and, uh, and they have them so early. It's amazing. And they're, I think, I think one thing I see in them too, at an early age, I think they're so focused and so organized in what they want to do. We recruit some kids coming in here when they're, we have, I have conversations with some juniors, you know, when they're here on an unofficial trip. And I'm absolutely amazed of how they, first of all, have just received all the information, how they're figuring out where to go, what two or three schools are probably the ones for them, what they want to major in. If that doesn't go well, what do they might major in besides that? I mean, it's, it's pretty amazing. I don't know about you guys. I'll just talk to myself. I was just happy to go to school and see what the heck happened. And uh, it was pretty neat listening to them. And I'm, you know, I'm pretty much in awe. And I think you have to respect your kids and really remember that, uh, number one, they're pretty talented to be in the situation they are. And secondly, you still have to realize they're 18, 19, and 20, and they can make huge mistakes at any time. I'm just so impressed. Uh, I guess your mindset on this, I picture – I don't know. I picture I've only been coaching for a little while and I get kind of bitter with some of the kids. And just to hear you having worked with kids this long and to be saying like there's traits that you admire in your players and wish you had, like, I don't know, that, that humility is is pretty profound to me. That's pretty cool. Well, thanks. You know, they they do. They receive so much information now. And uh, and I have more kids now than ever that major in two things, not just one, which I really revere. And uh, so I th- which means they got interested in something else along the way and something else became almost equally as important. And, uh, you know, just the fact that they're trying to learn something else besides what's in their comfort zone. You just, you know, it's, it's just a neat thing. I was pretty, you know, I was sort of tuned into the English part and had a little bit of an interest in the classics. But uh, uh, I, I, I couldn't venture out of that sphere. If you put me in science and. Uh, math, I would have still been in school right now. <laughs> Jack, I have a I have a listener question from my wife, Lauren. Your wife? Plays, Good. Yeah, she plays beach volleyball, and uh, oh, she, she was yeah she She's was Olympian. Ah, um, neat. What, what yeah. Olympics? Uh, in, in Rio. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, you guys may have neat. run into each other. I wish I would have stayed a few more days. I, uh, she was down on the on the nice side of things, down on Ipanema, right? Uh, they were in Copa. Oh, Copa, that's right. Yeah, was I hear it was absolutely great. It was a great venue. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was awesome. So she is wondering, can athletes be too humble? And what's the downside of that? Uh, that's a good question. Um, <clears throat> I think the ones that I found are too humble probably really aren't. <laughs> I, think. <laughs> yeah. so, um, I think what she's saying is, uh, does that stop them from being great? I th- I'm not trying to put a... I think that's what she's getting to because you do want kids with an edge and some of them, you don't want them perfectly easy every day to coach. Uh, You want them to have an edge. You want them to want to win. You want them to see something and work out that bothers them and to make sure uh, I'll tell you a quick story. For instance, when I, I have a young lady who just was honored as a circle of honor, which is our highest honor at the university of Georgia, Steph Williams, She's our associate head coach, an unbelievable coach for her age. I, I'm never, I wasn't even close to what she is right now at that age. And when uh, I recruited her up in Bloomsburg, Pennsylvania, I try to go into places uh, like if your wife was playing somewhere, I would try to be somewhere in the distant, distance where I could see her intermingle with her teammates. If she was being coached, see how she treated the coach. 
So I, I sort of snuck in this little YMCA up in Bloomsburg, Pennsylvania. It's out in the countryside. not much there. Uh, big Harley Davidson store, though. And uh, so I sat there and I watched her. They, the kids got out of the water. And all of a sudden, she had the coach's son with her finger in, in his chest telling him, I can't say all the words, but uh, don't mess around in my workout or get the hell out. And I thought, I think I want to sign that kid. You know, so, you know, when you see that edge and I'm not sure that was a humble thing, but um, the thing it, it was sort of like was the fact that she was aggressive. But on the same token, when she received the award, as uh, we only put three athletes a year into the circle of honor, it's a huge, huge honor. Um, and generally someone posthumously, too, because we didn't start this until the late 80s. And uh, so we have some catching up to do in the past of the University of Georgia. And it's the most fun committee I sit on. But uh, she she was as humble as anyone possibly could be. And uh, and she was and it came across loud and clear. So I think you can be tough. I think you can be humble. And uh, I think it's just uh, it's a good way to be. That's great. Thank you. I like it. I hope that answered for it. But uh Anyhow, I, I, that's, I, I'm jealous because she's involved in what seems like a sport that's an absolute gas to play. <laughs> I like it. We, we, uh, we agree. Gosh. <laughs> that's what we, we spend our life doing, not making any money doing it, but it's fun. <laughs> that doesn't matter. If I could have played, I, I stopped full court basketball when I was 55. And, oh, uh, I love it. And I, I couldn't get enough when even in college here and after, uh, which is why I have two fake knees right now. I have a lot of titanium in me, but, uh, you know, it was worth it. And being on a basketball court, being outside. And as you, you well know, if you're hitting it, if you played beach volleyball, it was sort of nice because it was out. It was without people bothering you like coaches, parents, um, you sort of found who was tough and who was not. And it's a lot easier when no one else is around because you have to fend for yourself and figure out who's going to be the best person there, who's going to get the next game, et cetera. It's a nice life lesson. And I'm a little fearful now when kids are coming up in little league and stuff that the, it's just a little bit too structured. And sometimes you don't find out who your leaders are that way either. If you let kids by themselves, you, you know, you'll figure out who's leading that group real quickly. I like that. Well, we um, we had an author named Ashley Merriman on the show. She wrote Top Dog, and she had recently she recently wrote an article about the benefits of humility. And one of the benefits that research have found researchers have found is that humble people actually enjoy finding out when they're wrong. I thought that was a really interesting thing. I'm wondering if you have any examples of stories or times where you've benefited from things you've done wrong. Yeah, I think so. Um, and and fortunately, they've been approached. Uh, to me with you know, the same bit of humility and I uh, certainly made some mistakes along the way. I've apologized. I can tell you this. I've apologized to more than a few athletes in the last 10 years because I look back. Uh, I think any coach can say this to you pretty honestly. They, you know, we thought, you know, when you win a championship, you think, you know, pretty a, a heck of a lot. And then you look back and you go, you go, good God, I didn't know anything. I don't know how those kids did it with the way I was coaching them. And so it's uh, it's an interesting thing. So I think a couple of those mistakes uh, that were pointed out to me by people that were close um, and certainly felt like they could say something to you, uh, it's always helpful. And uh, but I think uh, I think the humility part is big just because. If indeed you have that quality, I think you're more apt to learn. I think you're more apt to appreciate people that do things that you don't do. And uh, and I think it just opens up the world. And if you have a bit of humility to you, you're also going to have probably a few more friends and uh, that will be close to you that that I think don't do what you do. I think it's nice. Uh, I think speaking for a few people that I know, I just like the fact that uh, they have friends that have nothing to do sometimes with sports. Uh, you know, a lot of people you can respect, but, uh, and there, and that's one thing I love about a university setting. You're hitting it exact when you're asked, talking about humility. I meet people here that are so 
so successful in their field. It's it's actually almost hard to uh, uh, just believe how how good they are, what they do. And then you know you can go through lots of conversations, and they never even bring it up. It's a really neat thing. And there are a lot of talented people. And I'm and I'm talking for any university. I mean, at the highest level, there's some people that do some pretty special things. And whether it could be music, it could be science, it could be law law professors, but uh, certainly like being around them. When you look back, uh, like ten years ago, or whatever, on how you used to coach and kind of like I guess the mistakes you made or how you do stuff differently now, is it mostly technique or are there things with just I guess how you structure a practice or give feedback to athletes? We don't really know swimming yep. that well, but if there's any kind of things that go across the board, maybe it's probably feedback more than anything else and also workouts themselves uh and then intuitive sense becomes a lot bigger we have a lot of you probably all of you know you probably know some great really intelligent people that might have doctorates in physiology but that doesn't mean they can coach mechanics and and coach people to do things that they might normally not want to do every day so uh i think Ten years ago, I probably listened a little bit less. I think it's I like to have a little bit more enjoyment now in the last ten years than I did. I just like listening to them when they're on the deck, listen to what they you know what they're interested in. I don't get to that point where i I don't need to know everything about them and I, and I don't want to. I've always made a point. I always tell the kids they know I'm never going to show up at a dorm and check on them ever. you know um, I just want them to live their own life, but you know. I can certainly cast my opinions upon them when I can, I can figure out, you know, when a roommate comes in and says, you know, our room looks like, you know, death warmed over, you know, you know how guys can get in some rooms sometimes. And actually the ladies can too. I just, when we're on the road, I I look at their rooms in the hotel and I, I say, good God, I can't believe, I can't even imagine what the dorms might look like. But, uh, you know, you just have to have fun with them a little bit. But the way you the way you glean knowledge when you get older is not by going to any kind of coaching clinic. It's the the knowledge you glean are from your friends that have been what you view as very successful. And uh, and there are parts you have to take you beg, borrow and steal. And then you have to put it in your personality because whatever they do is not the way you can do it. Exactly. Anyhow, you just have to be yourself. That's awesome, Jack. I. I feel like we already know the answer to this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway because I hear, want to hear you articulate how to, how you feel about it. Do you ever worry that being a leader with humility is going to weaken your authority or or the perception of authority to your athletes? Uh, no, uh, quite the contrary. Okay, I, we're done. And, uh, <laughs> and I <laughs> I don't know how many people are going to listen to this, but it, should I say something about our president? <laughs> so, Yes. uh, um, You know, I think I think um, this is not a political broadcast, so I better get back to where I was. But uh, Uh, go for it. Mike is here, Jack. (laughs) But I think uh, I think it's I think adverse effect. I think uh, I think when you have a little bit of that to you, I think it's a little bit of more of a, a confidence that some coaches have. And. I've watched that and with a lot of coaches that I know that are, I think are better coaches than I am for sure. And, it, you know, I think in the end they, they begin to enjoy their sport and enjoy their, their athletes a lot more. And, uh, you know, but there's times, as you well know, there has to be a time there's, there's a line of demarcation where this is where you can go, but that's it. And, uh, because in the end you're still, and our sport's a rugged sport. I'm not saying any sport is not. Uh, they all are in their own way. I think I'm not sure every any sport's appreciated fully unless you know how to do it really well. Then you know how hard it is. But uh, ours is a tough sport because uh, the kids are accountable all the time, and they're accountable before they leave a pool at seven at seven a.m. during the school year. They've already know if they've had sort of a good day or not when they walk out because everything they do is on a watch. So it's, it's not subjective. It's not some guy saying, Hey, you did really well today. They look at clock. They know if they've done well or not. I always view them as the best people to, uh, you know, get a job in the workforce because they can, they can, you can count on them. They can get up early and, and they're, they're accountable and they know when, uh, 
you know, know that work is going to take them to their promised land. And fortunately, we're in a really tough sport where you can be ex- exceedingly talented, exceedingly talented, and not be successful if you don't work. And I, th- I always view it as a really, really very honest sport. It's not for the faint of heart. And just so what does that sound like when you have that conversation when a player crosses that line and you have to kind of crack down on them or discipline them? Uh, how do you approach that? First of all, probably more so than now, privately. Um, I have, I wouldn't say across the board, but I think a great portion of my athletes would not respond real positively if it's done in front of many others. And I think that's different from the way it used to be a little bit too. And I'm not sure how we got to that point and I'm not sure it's a good thing or not, but I think in some ways it probably guards the athletes. I think coaches, uh, that demean athletes in front of other kids, uh, I'm not sure. I don't. I think they might lose respect of the one that they're going after, but probably lose a team. Besides, I don't think that really works in the long run. We just got a last listener question in, Jack. Um, Greg from Palo Alto, California. Uh, he was wondering. He's a friend of the pod. He was wondering: Is it upsetting that someone else from Philadelphia won this year's national championship? Ha! <laughs> Tell him to show a little humility. I'll put it another way. It's nice that two guys from Philadelphia have won the last two. Yeah, he's a great coach and a really good friend. And uh, we sort of had a very similar background in the Catholic schools and outside of Philadelphia. And, uh, you know, it's it's you know, we're proud of uh, each other. I think it's it's neat. It's a. Philly's a pretty neat town. It's uh, has a lot of brotherhood there, and uh, and there are a lot of enormous amount of people that coach from that area too, and uh, not just in basketball but other sports. And but uh, Greg's done an exceptional job there, and I think he's the right place at the right time with the right people, and I think he's tailor made for for Stanford. I really do. He's uh, anyhow, he's about as good as they get. <laughs> <laughs> We have a, I have one more question on humility, and then we have a couple random questions we'll, we'll get to. Sure. But uh, the last one was just I'm wondering how you handle the recruiting trail and recruiting athletes. I feel like a lot of that is, is about sales and saying how great you are. And um, how do you balance that act with, with recruits? Uh, it's pretty easy, actually. Uh, the hard part is just getting around them as much as you want. Once you're in a house, it's always fun because you find out you just meet new people some of whom become some of your very best friends down the road, you know, and uh, it's a pretty neat thing. Uh, like uh, Leanne, my wife and I are going to the Braves Phillies game tomorrow. The reason I've been invited because the Phillies are involved by the parents of one of my former athletes that works out now out in uh, Napa Valley, one of the vineyards, uh, Terry Hogue's vineyard. Terry Hogue was a football player here at the University of Georgia. And he had about a three nine, I think, in uh, chemistry or organic chem. I know well organic chem was one of the courses, but I think in chemistry or biochemistry he had. And he ended up playing about twelve or thirteen years in the pros. He had twelve interceptions his senior year, and uh, it's 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 pretty neat. So we have all these kids that uh, do a lot of things. So anyhow, I don't know where I got to with that question, but the bottom line is you have a lot of kids. Uh, that come through on the recruiting part, and they end up going to their homes. And I will say this, uh, two things, and I hope some recruits are listening. They always have to remember when they come, they're, they think they're on a recruiting trip and we're there to impress them. We're watching them really carefully when they come in and how they are with everybody, how they are with an academic meeting, how they pay attention to professors. And the biggest thing I like to do is watch them when they're with uh, someone that they don't know. And then the other thing I learned the most, if I'm on a home visit, and this is going to give a few secrets away, but I think it's a good thing for everyone to look at. Um, I watch how they are with their mother and father at the dinner table. And my feeling is if they respect mom and dad, they'll respect me. But if they don't respect mom and dad, because I know how much moms and dads have already done for them to be a really good swimmer. And uh, if they don't, if they treat them a little disrespectfully, I guess you'd say, um, I'm out. And it doesn't matter how good they are. That's cool. That's awesome. 
That's so good. Jack, we don't get a lot of uh, non-volleyball coaches on this podcast, so I thought it'd be fun if we could, I don't know, have you take us through what a typical UG swim practice looks like? Like, How do you structure mm-hmm. it? Um, I don't know, any kind of meetings or video? I don't know. Any, how do you guys, uh, what does the practice look like? I can't stand meetings. Um, I don't like going to them, and I don't like running them either. <laughs> and uh, I, we've had a couple years, uh, nineteen, no, two thousand when we won the national championship, two thousand sixteen when we won, and that was a really sweet one. You can imagine, uh, you guys are out there in California, so you know if it was, let's just say UCLA won a championship and they won it at Southern Cal. This is how good it was because we won the national championship, but it was at Georgia Tech's pool. So that was that was pretty good stuff. But uh, anyhow, what was the question again? Yeah, just what does a typical practice look like? Typical practice is sort of uh, we don't meet. I just talk to the little kids. I put uh, the kids a little bit, I mean, and then I put the practices out on the and a couple things written down on each practice. Like we said before, the you know, like some something in the history of you know the, this day in history, or a, in a quote from someone. <laughs> about three quarters of the quotes from, from are from my favorite person in the world, Teddy Roosevelt. But these they're they're endless, so I can keep putting them on there. And uh, and then we sort of do a warm up, and we warm up if people are listening to. I don't know how you warm up for volleyball, but I do know it's leg driven. It's not arm driven, probably. I imagine watching it. It seems like the legs probably take the beating, and uh, maybe not. I bet you. I, I imagine you probably have some shoulder injuries, but I think you you have to have the legs. You have to have the hops. So being the biggest major group or muscle group, I'm sure you have to warm up the legs pretty well too. We do too in swimming. Uh, right now we'll warm up with about 2,000 meters, a little bit over a mile for swimming. Just before, that's just so we can get going and do something that we feel uh, is a little bit more taxing. We have to get the heart rate up and get the body moving. And we try to do workouts, warm-ups that have a little bit to do with how they're going to warm up for a big meet later on. So they have some semblance, some things in there that they can say, okay, this is what made me feel good. So they recognize something at some point in time. So I try to change the work, the warmups every day a little bit, just so somebody might think one of them is good for them and maybe pick another one that's good for them and et cetera, et cetera. Then we get in some main stuff and we, we cycle people. We can't just pound people all the time in the water. We do some, what we call threshold work where it's pretty high end heart rate. Next day we might do some, um, easy, fast stuff and uh, just being able to change speeds and next day some VO2 max where it's higher heart rate. Then you have a day where you do a little bit more on the aerobic side, maybe a power workout where you do some really fast and hard things. And then we do some, what we would call some big time lactate tolerance where we do things that are race simulation. It'd be like if you're in volleyball, you have, you might tone it down a little bit as far as how many points are won, but it's exactly how you want to do it in a match. And as you well know, when you have that and you try to get the atmosphere that's that important, it's hard to match, obviously, and you don't have people yelling at you from the stands, but you try to uh, simulate something and how they're going to feel and how they can handle feeling a little bit of pain in a race and then be able to deal with it. Because if you never deal with it, you, you can't in a race. You have to do it before that. Billy's going to learn how to swim soon, so this is good information. <laughs> yeah. Tell him to come on, Dad. We'll fix that real quick for you. Yeah. I, I do the volleyball. It sounds like a lot more fun. It looks like a lot more fun. Anything you, with a ball is probably – You won't simple. drown, that's for sure. Yeah. We'll uh, do pool, pool volleyball. Best of all. It's neat stuff. Yeah, I was a little short for that, but uh, basketball, thank, thankfully, a little quickness counted. So it was it was fun to watch. It was just I do miss full court basketball. I miss that more than anything. I play a lot of tennis now, but uh, play three sets today. But I just, uh, you know, these, you know, they can do a wonderful things with you when they replace knees and parts. And I had some shoulder surgery from some surfing trips too. But uh, you know, they can keep. I'll just keep getting patched up and keep throwing punches. Jack, what separates, I guess, your good swimmers that come through your program and then your best, the Olympians? I know you mentioned like willing to work hard. 
Um, is there anything else with the mindset? Yeah. I think the thing you see in a really great swimmer, as opposed to ones that are, quote, fairly successful, is the fact that uh, the really good ones are really good pretty much every day. And they don't let themselves get down. And uh, I think sometimes I try to teach to our particularly to our new ones who want to get better is the fact that you have to bring it every day. And I think you have to bring it on days you don't feel like, and maybe something went wrong at home. Maybe something went wrong with, you know, a friend, uh, maybe something went wrong in class, but you know, I always say this is a separate world. And if you let this go, then that be the other thing becomes worse. So you can control the pool. So make that as good as you can. But I think the consistency they the best kids sometimes aren't always spectacular in workout, but they're always pretty good. And they find something that, uh, to hang their hat on before they finish the day. So consistency is a big, big deal. What do you mean by find something to hang their hat on? Uh, something that they do well. They might, uh, and that's up to a coach too. This is sort of a, the, some of the nuances. If you see a kid, one of your best kids struggling, you have to go back in time and try to go back, look at your workouts or just – think about what they feel most comfortable with and you might put a workout the next day it might be a workout that's a little bit geared to them just to get their confidence back it's a really important thing and uh then they get into a comfort zone there's something they know they do well and then something you know the motor goes off and next thing you know you got them you know i wish it was that simple all the time but sometimes it takes a little bit more than that but it's certainly a way of getting kids back on track so uh, you just have to watch what you have. And, you know, there's a lot of ebb and flow. Greg has it at Stanford. Uh, Eddie Reese has it at Texas, you know, with the, when you have a lot of great kids, like tomorrow morning, we're going to have six kids from the Olympic team in the water. And there's a lot of ebb and flow in there. And you just, uh, you have to have the really difficult part of is having them all in mind when you're doing a workout and making sure something is good for every one of them, not just for one of them in particular. Jack, you've, you've gained a lot of nuance over the years in, in your career. What keeps you coming back each year? What makes it worth it coming back? Uh, mostly a couple of things, uh, but mostly the athletes. Um, sometimes it's hard. I'm going to I'll be quite frank with you because uh, as you get older, you get more interested in a lot of other things too. And, and you enjoy other things. And also as you get a little bit older, um, you know, you realize, uh, you know, when I was 50, I didn't even think about a time clock when you get to be 65, even though people, you know, will tell, tell me and all this, say, Hey, you're young at heart. You're like 40 years old. Well, listen, I don't feel 40, <laughs> but, um, you just, you know, uh, there's a great old line, right? I think it's in Fleetwood Mac. Um, I think it's uh, no, it's Bonnie Raitt. Actually, I think it was in the nick of time that that song she had was great. It's, she said, um, "Time becomes more precious when there's less of it to waste." And uh, you know, I think that now I didn't didn't even occur to me ten or fifteen years ago. But now, you know, you just don't want to miss anything with anybody, and it's it's uh, you know, you just don't want to miss anything. There's so much stuff to do, so much stuff. I feel. Uh, you know, right now, there's just a lot of other things to it. Sometimes you want to learn about and read about and and actually do physically. And uh, so that's that becomes a little yin and yang, I guess. But, the, you know, another part for me, I went to school at the University of Georgia, started in 1970. And uh, ironically, my first concert was the Allman Brothers concert. And they, we just lost Greg Allman this last week. You know, I, and I love their music. That was my first concert. They weren't even in the opening band, actually. I'll never forget that. But uh, but being here in Georgia that long, I have a built-in affinity for the place. So it's you know I don't when I uh, it's an easy uh, you know I'm, I fell in love with Georgia when I got recruited, and it's been a love affair ever since. That's awesome. So you've given us a ton of great advice, and want to just pick your brain for one more, just some sort of general advice for coaches, things that no matter what sport you coach will help your athletes succeed. I think just hire the best people you possibly can. I didn't say the best coach, but hire the best people. Um, you can coach 
you, and you can teach people to become better coaches. But the biggest thing you want to have good people around you and you want to have people that you want to have see every day and have fun with. And, and I think you should have fun with your staff. I, I, I love being with my staff and always have. And, um, but I also think you, if you're going to hire your staff, you hire, there's one priority, loyalty. Everything else can be taught. That's a, a trait that either people have or not. And I think you just have to be able to tell if you trust them and you know that they're loyal, that's a great person to hire no matter what, because your, your program is going to work a lot easier if everyone's on the same page. That's cool. I like that. That's good advice. That's why we do this podcast remotely now, because we can't stand to be in the same room as each other. <laughs> I somehow I doubt it. I think you guys probably have a good time. I haven't yeah. seen Billy and John in years. <laughs> they won't tell me where they are. Yeah, it's better that way. So, <laughs> thank, thanks so much. Um, you know, Tom Black recommended I reach out to you, and I'm really glad that yeah. I did. Um, Tom Black, wonder- friend of the podcast. Yeah, big big time friend of the podcast. He's been on twice. We uh, really look up to him. I'm wondering, just as we close, how he's doing. You know, he's a Southern California guy made the move out there. Do you get to see him much? How he's doing with the team? Yeah, he's doing great. He's, uh, and I love, I love being around him. I, I sort of quote recruited him pretty hard when I sat down with him, you know, we got, uh, the tennis coach who's been here for about as long as I have, uh, Manuel Diaz. We sat with Tom and I think we just had a good time. I don't re- I didn't really feel like we were doing much of a sell job. We were just telling him stuff and having a good time. And, uh, you know, it's a little bit of an adjustment. This is not Southern Cal. And, uh, you know, cause I, my wife's family's out there. Uh, her dad is, uh, you know, litigator out there in uh, SoCal and down in as, uh, so we have great places to visit out there. We're usually right down near Newport or up with the, up with her uncle all the way up in uh, Pasadena. So uh, I have two wonderful places to be. And I love California, but it's an adjustment when you come. But it's a good adjustment. I think things are a little bit less hectic. Uh, I think you have people are not in quite as much of a hurry. Uh, but I love both places. But I, I love the South, the feel of it. And, uh, you know, I think people have a tendency down here to take you in really quickly. When I came down as a freshman, and it was a very different place. This is this place now is cosmopolitan compared to what it was in 1970. Um I was the only kid on the t- swimming team north of the Mason-Dixon line then. And, uh, you know, and I was a Philly kid. So it's pretty, pretty amazing that I ended up down here. But uh, the people are welcoming and they're warm. And be honest with you, I think the people are pretty much the same no matter where you go. I think sometimes the only thing really changes is the scenery. <laughs> cool. And, Jack, uh, I can't end it without talking about it. You mentioned like some 60s rock a few times. As a fellow English major, you're just right in my wheelhouse. Um, who are some of your favorite bands and uh, authors? Well, Dylan for sure. Oh, oh geez. Oh, my, oh, my God. God. Jack, I don't yeah, think I've listened to anybody did. else in the last 10 years. Yeah, because there's just so much stuff that he did and so many ways he put things. And, and, uh, and then when he veered off, you know, he was pretty neat because he got he caught a lot of flack, particularly with Nashville Skyline, which I love. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he, he's just he was just amazing. I've seen him more than a few times. Uh, I love B.B. King. I love the Allman Brothers. But when I tell you what changed, you know, when I grew up, Philadelphia was a music town. You know, it was sort of a dance town. We all danced. We went to dances. Heck, we danced for three hours. And uh at, at schools, it was really a lot of fun. Everyone was into music, but it was sort of a different time because I was, uh, I started surfing at the age of 10. So everyone thought I loved the beach boys, but I didn't really like them. I, uh, I liked adventures and Dick Dale and, uh, guys like that. I liked to surf guitar more than anything else. And then all of a sudden, you know, the Motown was big. Everything was, that was going on with, you know, we had, we had it great. We had Marvin Gaye, we had Wilson Pickett, Ot- Otis Redding. And, uh, and then all of a sudden, I listened to Neil Young. And then what really changed things is when I listened to Hendrix. And, uh, you know, I thought, what the hell is that? <laughs> you know, it was so different than anything that we had ever heard. I was 16 at the time. 
And I think uh, the thing that really hooked me on music was Monterey Pop, just seeing that movie. Uh, that's when the Who went nuts. It was Hendrix set his guitar on fire, for God's sake. But I think, uh, you know, I'm saddened by that, you know, that he's not here. Guys like that, because, you know, that music, if I could sell my soul, I don't think I would be lead the Eagles to the, uh, you know, Super Bowl. I'd rather be a musician like that because that gift that they have just gets bigger and bigger as they go. And it can you can be a better musician at 70 than you are at 30. And uh, so I hate the fact that we're missing some of those guys now. But uh, anyhow, that was there were probably I guess Hendrix and Dylan, and I know they're far different from each other. Uh, and I sort of liked uh, I love Joni Mitchell too. She was really talented, talented artist also. And uh, anyhow, it could go on and on. But uh, those rock concerts back then had a little bit of everything because if you remember, they had. Otis Redding would be playing in the same concert with the Loving Spoonful. They'd be same concert with, you know, Jimi Hendrix and Janis Joplin. So it was uh, we had a little bit of everything at that time. And I think the biggest tribute to it is that we still listen to it. I'm not sure I hear much stuff right now that I know is going to be alive 50 years from now. So Mm -hmm. but I think if you dig deep, I think the music's as good or better. There's some uh, it's just like anything else. I think people get more talented because they keep learning from people before. So um, I try to stay in touch with some young guys that know music much more than I. And uh, it sort of opens the eyes a little bit. Yep, I agree. I think I'm going to be still listening to Dylan in 50 years from now. Yeah, I think so, too. It's pretty amazing stuff. And it doesn't speak to everyone, but he's uh, that's about as different as you can get. And he has something something that other people don't have. And obviously he's a, more of a poet than he is a singer. Certainly well, mm-hmm. <laughs> well, Jack, thank you so much for spending the time. I guess validating all my beliefs. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope it's popular with your buddies too. So, but, uh, anyhow, I appreciate the time guys. I know it, uh, I want to thank Leanne, my wife for setting this up because I had no idea and, um, uh, not real good at this stuff, but, uh, I I really enjoyed t- getting the chance to talk about coaching, and I appreciate uh, your questions were uh, much different than I expected. So it was a lot of fun. So I had to sort of <laughs> I was non prepared in a way. So everything I told you, sort of what I just thought up. Cool. cool. Thanks, Leanne. Yeah, thanks, yeah. Leanne. Thank I'll you, tell Jack. her. She's ex- she's exceptional. Thanks a lot. All right, talk fun. to you guys later.